but you can be seated or perhaps you're already seated <laughs> wherever you are. It's so good to be able to gather with you this morning in this way and thankful um, that you are with us. And um, I just want to say again, as I've said many times over the last number of months, that um, we do uh, miss so many of you um, who um, we have not been able to see in person. Um, but we're thankful that we have this medium to at least reach and connect with you in some way. And um, uh, so uh, just look forward to, again, being able to give you a hug. Um, and if you're a guest with us this morning, thanks for looking in on our church and joining us um, remotely. We are in a study um, in the ser- of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And we are uh, still in the early stages, although this is our 12th message um, in this series. Uh, we are in the early stages of uh, this series. We've worked our way through the Beatitudes. Um, these uh, uh, statements from Christ, they're called the Beatitudes or known as the Beatitudes, these statements of blessing, which define or give us a picture of what it means to be Christian, who is a Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. These are markers that say this is a Christian, he is supremely, she is blessed and marked by these things. And there are of course promises of each of those statements that followed. But in that way, Jesus was painting a picture of what it means or what it looks like to be Christian. Who is a Christian? And as we turn last week, we see Jesus makes a turn in verse 13 to say, because this is who you are, you are a Christian based on these things, these identifying marks of being poor in spirit or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being someone who is merciful. These all make up these marks of being a Christian. Then we act upon these things and we become something. And so we aren't, we are Christian. And then in some way we have to be Christians. And as we be Christians, Jesus would say that we are the salt of the earth. And here in verse 14, you are the light of the world. These two statements that define what it looks like to be a Christian. You know, last week, the power went out in our neighborhood. I know a number of you were affected by that outage after the storm. And um, we uh, woke up to darkness with no ability to uh, light it up, to do anything about it. We had no capacity on our own power to create light, to make light. And so we had to shower and get dressed. Laurel had to try and put on her makeup in the dark. And um, like many things, it's in those moments when we didn't have light, when we had no ability to power anything on, that we appreciated the light. And it's in those moments when we're appreciating the light that we really understand what darkness is. It wasn't until we were in the darkness that we understood the power of light. And as Jesus transitioned his message from who Christians are to being Christian, as we just talked about, he said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. And in this world, it's broken. And you are the ones that preserve the world from this constant state of decay. You slow it down by being Christian. You flavor the world, the salt of the earth. You flavor like salt does. And you flavor the world with the fruit of the Spirit. And here in this second statement, he says that we are the light of the world. Christians are the light of the world. So many of us remember that childhood Sunday school song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. 
I'm going to let it shine. Well, the light that we are letting shine is ultimately what Jesus says here is that we are the light that is shining. Not that we hold it or have some capacity just to hang on to it like we might think of a flashlight or a candle as we often did. But no, we are the light of the world. It's our lives through our union with Christ which repel darkness. Jesus tells us this. As we try and understand what Jesus was saying about us, as we did when he told us we are the salt of the earth, we have to consider the truths that are a result of that statement being true. We knew, as we unpacked last week, if he says we are the salt of the earth, the earth or the world, excuse me, the world is needing preservation, the world is needing flavor. Salt would bring that about. So the world must be in a constant state of decay. The world must be dying. And we see, of course, all of the evidence around us tells us that that is true. Well, if Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, then the requirement, the need for light, in the same way salt pointed to the fact that there was decay, the need for light, the fact that we are the light, tells us that the world must be filled with darkness. That darkness must be the natural state. And again, our experience validates this truth. The world is a dark place. And it seems so often, moment by moment, to be getting darker So let's think about this darkness. You know, many people in the world, the scientists, the wise people of the world, um, the philosophers, all the way back from ancient days have talked about enlightenment and mankind, we growing in our enlightenment. And we like to think of ourselves as becoming wiser and understanding more and all of these sorts of things. And so it's tempting to believe that darkness really isn't a problem. We've become so enlightened that darkness can't really be anything that we have to be concerned about. But it's really easy to see that that's not the case. As we live our lives, we look at the world around us, and in the same way we said last week, we see the world in this constant state marching towards death. We see darkness all around us. We see the world, yes, growing in depravity, growing in sin, sin being celebrated. This darkness is not, or darkness, excuse me, is this growing absence of acknowledging God. We see darkness increasing while it seems, again, the world would say we are growing in our enlightenment and our wisdom and our capacity and all of these sorts of things. Look at all that we have accomplished. We see the world Diminishing the reality of God and this increasing push to shove God out of all equations. And listen to what Paul said to the Ephesian church related to what the world thinks of and how it connects to darkness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, speaking to the church, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is exhorting the church in Ephesus, exhorting us as Christians That because we are, as Jesus would say, the light of the world, that we have put off those old ways. We have let go of those things. But the world, in the futility of their minds, thinking of themselves as wise, continue to allow darkness to reign. The darkness of this world seems to be ever-increasing as mankind puts more and more confidence in himself and rejects the reality of God. We get more and more information. Think about the amount of data that we hold so often in the palms of our hands. And with it, it seems the world grows darker and darker and darker as we reject the truth of God. Remember, our study from Ecclesiastes, Solomon's pursuit of knowledge knowledge or enlightenment, as we might say today. He had all the resources to pursue all of the knowledge that man had to offer. Everything that was available in the world, all of the wisest people, he gathered them them together. He tried to understand all that there was to understand about the world. And in the end, as he did with wealth, with relationships, with everything else, he found them all to be meaningless. Knowledge did nothing to help his plight. He wasn't satisfied. And as he pursued all of that knowledge in the same way that our world seems to do, he remained in darkness. In the world today, pursuing all of this wisdom, all of the ways of man, pursuing those things and continuing to live in darkness. But we, it says, are the light of the world. While the world is sitting in darkness... Thinking so highly of itself, thinking of itself as enlightened, as wise. Jesus says it's only the Christian that has the light. I'm reminded as I think about that of my grandpa. I called him Gramps. And Gramps was the wisest man that I ever knew. You have heard me talk about him often if you've been around our church very while. He was very intelligent. And yet, in his wisdom and intelligence, he was a rather simple man in the ways of the world. He saw the world in a certain way, and he lived a rather profound life, even again in the simplicity of his life. It's not anything that the world would have ever recognized about him. But those that knew him, that got to share life with him, got to be around him as I did, so blessed by, I saw it. The world walking around in darkness, pursuing enlightenment, could never offer what Gramps could offer. Because he saw the world through the light, through the lens of Scripture. He saw the world as Christ called him to see the world. He lived as Christ called him to live, as the light of the world. The world feels like it is so enlightened, and yet it cannot figure out the most simple of things. Consider for a moment all of mankind's achievements. 
thinking of my grandparents, I still marvel at the fact that my grandmother, who 20 years ago or more now, was given a pacemaker and she would call on her landline phone, hold the phone up to her chest, and the hospital would be able to assess the condition of her pacemaker. I have no idea how that worked. (laughs) Or how we are talking about this week, how wireless charging works. You put your phone on a little device and somehow power is transferred through that. And yet if you touch the little pad that you put your phone on, no electricity is transmitted. How does that work? We aren't even touching all of the medical achievements of transplants and vision and all of these sorts of things. An astronaut, just this week I heard, voted from space. Again, we can accomplish so many things. We have so much wisdom, it seems. And yet, in all our enlightenment, in all our wisdom, with the scientific world having it all figured out, they argue that life doesn't exist in the womb. They argue over the existence of life from birth. Much of our scientific and medical community find nothing wrong with the intentional dismemberment of babies in their mother's wombs. Or some would even go so far and find it acceptable and even a defendable right to sever a child's spinal cord at the moment of birth. Think about that amount of darkness. All these things that we supposedly have figured out. And yet, the barbaric actions of so many. There is no light in all of the world's wisdom. And that's just one situation, one reality that reminds us of how dark this world is. And those of us who stand on the other side in opposition to the world's wisdom who find those things barbaric and even just simply insane, we are the ones who are living in the dark ages, the world says, living in darkness. That's because Jesus was right. He said it clearly. We are the light of the world, and there is no light in this world apart from the light of Christ shining through and in the Christian life. Once again, we... Look at scripture and the evidence of life, the circumstances of life. All of these things just remind us over and over again that the Bible has always been true. The Bible has it all figured out. First Corinthians chapter one. Again, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world couldn't find God through accomplishment, through its own achievement. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The folly of the gospel to save those who believe. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. And in doing that, he is saying that you are the light of the world. Not just me because I have some degree of enlightenment or education around the Bible. No, all Christians, not a, there isn't a super Christian. Your neighbor that seems to have it all figured out, seems to be walking with Christ in such a way that maybe is further along than you. Yes, there's maturity and there's sanctification. There's things that we should look to. But if you are a believer... You have believed the wisdom of God and let go of all of the wisdom of the world. And you are the light of the world. Every single one of us is the light of the world. 
This isn't reserved for some. This is reserved for all, as Paul would say, who have believed the folly of the gospel. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And we show his light to the world. You might be asking yourself, well, how did I become the light of the world? Again, I would encourage you to return back to the Beatitudes as a first step to think about. And if you were not with us, again, I reference this all the time. Go back, listen to these messages on our podcast. But John 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. Jesus speaking, and the Pharisees are in, in range when he says this. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Go back to what Paul says. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's believing that Jesus is who he said he was. That's how we become light. That's how we become the light of the world. When we follow Jesus, we follow him in death and in his resurrection. By the way, our baptism symbolizes that, which is why we have the ordinance of baptism, to declare publicly that we have died to ourselves and we have been raised up with Christ and we have union with Christ and we're unified with him that, and it becomes that I and Jesus, you and Jesus, when you believe, are now one. If you have received the light of the world, you are the light of the world. When Jesus left, he said he would send the helper, his spirit, Holy Spirit God. And the Holy Spirit has enlightened our hearts to believe. And through the Holy Spirit, we have union with Christ. This is all that Jesus was talking about, by the way, in John 14 through 16. And so we have become the light of the world. And as a result of that, there's a calling upon our lives to live. Jesus continues as he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Jesus says, if you are the light of the world, you cannot be hidden the city that sits up on the hilltop, doesn't, it can't be diminished. So often as I drive up our new property, our property, this building sits up, ta- up on a hill. And when the lights are on, as soon as I pull in the driveway, I can see the light of this building shining. It can't be hidden. It would take a lot to mask that. In the same way, he says that you wouldn't light a lamp and then put it under a basket. God would not create in us, give us, and call us, and make us to be the light of the world to then just hide us away. No, we are to shine that light and allow that light to push back against the darkness. There's a purpose that he has. It'd be foolish if you had a lamp, if we were out of power and we lit a candle. We wouldn't take the candle, set it on the countertop, and then cover it. No, we want the light to help us to push back in the, against the darkness. And so we are the light of the world, and thus, like Christ, we expel darkness. Remember, darkness is the natural state. Think about creation. Everything was dark. God spoke the sun and the moon into existence. And when he did that, light came and the darkness was pushed back. The same way, a room is dark. It's when we come in and turn the light on that all the darkness goes away. But as soon as we turn that power off, there is darkness again. The heart of man, we know. My testimony is that my heart was dark. 
in darkness, in the Holy Spirit of God, shine the light of Christ on my heart in such a way I was compelled to believe and it became light. As the light of the world, we continue the work of Christ. As he walked around the earth, he now left, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We have union with him and we walk this earth expelling darkness. You know, one of my favorite things about traveling, especially as I like to do when we go to the West Coast, friends, men, I want to invite you to join us on our men's ski trip, January 26th through the 30th. We're going to get to experience the mountains. You can get to see me singing to Jesus at the top of a mountain. I promise it's going to happen almost every time. When, every time we arrive and we drive up so, so often, we arrive in darkness and we can't see. And if you've ever gone somewhere new, you uh, get there in darkness, you kind of feel your way about. But as you're outside and enjoying the creation or looking or thinking about what might be there, you can't see it all. My very, one of my favorite things is waking up in the morning and going to the porch or stepping outside wherever I am and taking it all in, looking at all of the creation that is there. I couldn't see it in the dark. I knew it was there, but I couldn't see it. And now I get to see this beautiful scenery that God has created. I had no idea there was that beautiful shoreline there. I couldn't see that amazing tree or that majestic mountain The light allowed me to see the glory and the beauty like I had not done before. See, the world in its natural state of darkness doesn't recognize, doesn't understand all of the beauty available to it. And so that's why this explains the human condition of trying to pursue and find beauty and joy and happiness in all of these other places. Looking in everywhere to find something and we don't realize What is available to us in Christ? That's what the world does. It doesn't understand that there is light. And the light of Christ is the greatest of light. And so as we live and move, going about our day in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our playgroups, with our friends, within our families, we take the light of Christ with us. And that light looks Appealing, People see it. We push back darkness just by our presence. We step into a room and light is with us. This is why when the world sees us as merciful or as people who have pure hearts with a holiness about us, as peacemakers, all of these things were so vital. This is what Christ was doing in us. He was creating us to be light. I often joke, you've heard me say it from here before, about people uncovering what I do for a living and just the kind of fun that that is for me. <laughs> they will spend, uh, we'll spend the entire front nine. They'll be cussing up and down all sides of the golf course. And at the turn, somehow it'll come up that I'm a pastor. And in that, they'll be feeling shame the rest of the round. They'll be upset. They'll be embarrassed. By the way, you don't have to be embarrassed. I always say that. It's not about me. You're not offending me in any way. But isn't it interesting that this is the effect that Christians who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who have a poverty of spirit, that they don't puff themselves up, but they just acknowledge their need before Christ, who are humble and meek as these Beatitudes defined us, all of these things. As we step into the room, we bring this light of Christ, and the darkened world recognizes that. It sees it. We enter into the room and they realize that they are lacking. They realize for a moment when they see that light in us 
that they are living in darkness. It's interesting to remember. Think about it. You only step in dog poop in the dark. When the light's on, you step over it. You go around it. As Christians, we light up the world in such a way that the world can see the mess, can see it, and they step around, they begin to change. There is impact that we have. John told us, or Jesus told us in John chapter 3, the man loves the darkness. And that when we step in, they're going to see the light in us. And it's going to, in some ways, bring condemnation. Not that we're judgmental or hateful or any of those things, but it's the light in us. It's Christ at work in us that reveals there is a difference. There's something other in us as Christians. That's what he was describing. And by the way, this is why... He said he would be rejected and ultimately why we are rejected so often because the world likes darkness. Man wants to stay in a natural state. We want to stay in darkness. We like the darkness where we can feel as if we can hide all of these things and we don't have to feel shame for our sin or judgment for our sin or condemnation. Every problem in the world is rooted in mankind's love, his natural love for darkness, his desire for sin. And when we, as the light of the world, come into the room, come into relationship, we bring the light and reveal that darkness. This is why we've said, Jesus would say, we need more Christians Christians are the answer. We have the solution. We have the hope that the world needs. As Christians, we are the light of the world. And here's the good news. Yes, there is a degree that light reveals the darkness of their hearts. It reveals the sinfulness, our pride, all of these things as Christians step into the world in that way. But we don't just leave people there in the same way Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. That is what we also do. We don't come to condemn. We don't speak condemnation or judgment or any of those things over the world. We reveal it because we bring light to it. But as it's revealed, we don't just reveal it. We point to the way out. We give light to bring people into the light. See, we step into the world as the light. And we expose the darkness. We bring revelation to the sinfulness of our hearts. And then we show the path out because our lives point to Jesus. Every single one of us, I would expect at some point in our lives has been in a really dark room. And in some way, we're in the midst of the darkness. We don't know our way out, but somehow we might see a door cracked. And there's just enough light let in that we know that's the way out. This is in a sense when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, what he means. Yes, you're going to bring light into the world in such a way that darkness has to flee. It's revealed the sinfulness of mankind's heart is shown by the way we live our lives and take his light into the world. But then we point to him. We point people to him. We don't just bring condemnation. We point people to Christ. As the source of everything that we are. There is nothing good in me we sing. You are the good in me Jesus. It's Christ himself who is the source of our light. It's often been described using creation in this way. We know that the moon has no natural light in and of itself. But the moon is merely reflecting the light of the sun. 
In the same way, Christians, we are the light of the world, but the light that we shine, the light that reveals darkness and the light that we point people to is the Son, the Son of God. We point to Christ. And isn't it amazing to think that God made a way for us to find our way out of darkness? This is his love for you, friends. Don't stop in my message where we're talking about light revealing sin and light showing and bringing condemnation and all of those sorts of things. Because God loved us enough to not just show us our sin, but to give us a path out of our sin, to lead us into salvation and to lead us into the light. And you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, are the means with which God has chosen to do that for a lost, a dark world. Isn't that amazing? Not only that God would choose to let us find our way out of darkness and to lead us out of darkness, but then those that he has led out of the darkness and now those of us who have received the light of Christ and now have become the light of the world, he now uses to bring others out of darkness. What an amazing thing. This is the mystery and the power of the gospel. I hope if you're listening to my voice, Perhaps because of a friend or a loved one or a neighbor invited you to join them in worship this morning or to listen to this message. I want you to know they did that because they want you to know the source of the light that they shine in your life. I also want you to know and I want to thank you. You trust them enough to listen, to peer in, to join us because of that light And that light that you see is not them. It's Jesus Christ. It's God himself pursuing you. He loves you. He is good. And in the midst of the darkness that you're walking in and living in today, he has shown you the light of himself through your friend, through your loved one. There's something in them that shines brightly and looks differently than the world. So as Jesus closes in verse 16, very famous verse, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So church, let us remember who we are, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and let us shine. Why have we been so convinced to hide our light? Either we think that there really is no darkness or we aren't really sure we're the light of the world. Our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones are living in darkness. They are lost and without hope. But God sent his son, Jesus, and he has now sent us to be the light of the world to reflect him, to bring people out of darkness, not so that they would pat us on the back or so that we would feel good about ourselves, but so they might glorify our Father in heaven as they thank him for, uh, for his son, as they thank him even for you. It is dark out there, friends, but you are the light of the world. God has spoken. Let us be faithful. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love for us, your love displayed on the cross. 
darkness reigned in that day when you hung on the cross. But three days later, the darkness could not contain you. You took up your life again, and your light shined for all the world to see. And in some way, some mysterious way, you have reached us with that message After century of century after century, so much time has passed, and yet your message is still being proclaimed. And so many of us have heard that message, and because of the light that you've shown in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, we have believed, and we have now become the light of the world. Help us to shine in such a way that you are glorified, Father. And I pray... For all my friends that are listening in right now, that trusted someone enough to listen to this message, that they would realize that all of the light that is shining into their lives, that's revealing that darkness, that you didn't do that just so that they would feel shame or judgment or condemnation. No, it's that you would, they would experience your grace and your mercy as the light shined on their lives and they were able to just confess and give all of that darkness over to you and say, I believe. I believe that all of this darkness that's in my heart and in my life was fully paid for when Jesus laid down his life. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he is alive today. And I believe that he's made me alive today. I pray that that would be the prayer of anyone that does not know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior, doesn't understand the mercy and the grace that, that, that I've received. I was easily condemnable. You would be just and right to just cast me out, Lord. But in your mercy and your grace, you didn't. You showed me a way to yourself because someone was faithful to shine your light into my life. So thank you. Would you help us? Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord Jesus, by your power to be who you have called us, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, just want to thank you so much for gathering with us this morning. I do have um, just a few things I want to share with you about our week. Um, I mentioned our men's ski trip. Please get online, guys. We'd love to have you a part of that January 26th through the 30th. Um, Tomorrow is our City Church 201. I really want to highlight this. Um, This is the step towards moving into formal membership within our church. And so many of you are part of our City Church 101, which is kind of a first step for anybody that's brand new. But There are a lot of you who have been a part of our church family for some time, know us well, know our beliefs, our doctrines, our practices, all of those sorts of things. And so both, whether you're brand new and you're ready to take a step towards moving into membership with us, or you've kind of been walking with us for some time, we would love to have you join us tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock. We will end at 7.30 sharply, um, and you don't have to take that final step of moving into covenant partnership, what we call membership here at City Church, but it is the step that we were were 
require if you want to do that. And so you could leave after tomorrow night and say, hey, I'm going to pray and kind of think a little bit longer. Or you might be ready after that. But we want to invite you to be a part. Dinner and child care is provided. Um, we just ask that you would register. And so uh, there will be a link right below uh, in wherever you're watching right now. Uh, comment section there that you can find uh, to make that registration. You can go to citychurchmelissa.com and find that registration. If you've ever used our church center app, you can find that registration. So we've tried to provide as many means possible for you to register for that. Um, again, we'd love for you to be a part of that and to join us in uh, partnership in the ministry of this church. Um, that's what this is all about. And then finally, next Sunday, uh, we have evening prayer and re-engage. Those two things go together right now. Um, and we're so thankful for that. So come at five o'clock um, and just join us for prayer. We just seek the Lord together, help, ask for his help to be the salt and the light of the world that we've been called to be. Um, and then immediately following, um, if you're married, uh, we would love for you to stick around and be a part of our re-engage ministry. Uh, wherever you're at in life related to your marriage, whether you've been married for a week or you've been married for 37 years, whether you are at the peak, your marriage is as high and as strong as it's ever been, or you feel like you're in the deepest, darkest of valleys, re-engage will bless you. I assure you of that. I, I will not lead you astray. And so um, stick around after evening prayer for uh, re-engage. Um, and again, child care is always provided for those things. So love you guys. Thank you so much for joining with us. If we can serve your family in any way, uh, please just leave a comment. There's also an email address listed below that you can reach us um, and uh, we would love a way to connect with you and, and serve you if we can. God bless. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa for the glory of God and the good of the city.